you remember the good old days when all you had to worry about was getting your homework done and getting home before curfew? Before you had to worry about jobs, projects, working, when you could long for a summer vacation and a winter break? Well, this is the podcast for when you realize that life can be hard. Hold on one moment. <sighs> Finally, he's gone. The last thing I need to hear is him plugging another podcast. Come take a listen to my show, Adulting Ain't Easy, every other Wednesday on the Journey into Comics Network. The following, the following is a Journey into Comics. 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 Network. 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 Production. Production. You're listening to Poor Entertainment. With your host, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Andrew Poor. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Poor Entertainment, the show covering all things that entertain us. And that brings me to the question, which is kind of going to go in and out of the episode this week, and that is, what entertains you, and are you not entertained? Because really, if you're not entertained, why are you doing it? So, what I kind of want to talk about this week, kind of jumping into a few articles I have to discuss, but there's kind of something I want to talk about that I've kind of been mulling around since I've been deciding about this week's episode, and that, why do something, or watch something, or go to something if you're not going to be entertained by it? Like, the people who yell at the TV screen at a football game, or at a, any other sport game, like, if you're not enjoying yourself. But some people like to be frustrated, they like the the... But they get in so engrossed in it, they're like, yes, that's awesome. Or people who go to a movie, know they're going to hate it, and then complain about it. Like, why go to something you're just going to ridicule later? Like, what what do you hope to gain from that? Like, why do you enjoy tormenting yourself if you know you're not going to like it? Like, there's some things we do just because other people we care about or want to like it. Like, some people go see movies or go to places they don't particularly like to be at just because there's another or their friends or whatever doing the same thing. But I feel like a lot of people need to do things just to be entertained by it. Like, a lot of the stuff we like, go into movies, go into plays, go into concerts. We all do that just to be entertained by it. But if you're not going to like it, then why do it? A lot of this is just for escapism. We get away from our day-to-day lives, do things that we would like to do. But to be in the place where we have to do something we don't enjoy, like, that's what work is for. That's what some other stuff is for. That's what the doing chores, all that dull stuff that we have to do on a day-to-day basis just to maintain order in our lives but if you're not entertained just don't do it like people like oh i heard this movie is terrible yeah if you still want to go see it like i saw predator over this weekend even after i heard on podcast view that the movie was wasn't great like i still really enjoyed the movie i don't have a whole lot of context i haven't been super into the whole predator series like i haven't saw the haven't seen the newer movies i haven't seen Predator 2 or Predators, so I don't really have the context, but it's still an enjoyable film. There's some parts that are kind of laughably weird, but it wasn't bad by any means. It was definitely overly produced. Uh, I really enjoyed the the Predator dogs, especially the one that had the brain injury, so it became like everyone's favorite companion. It was kind of a weird amount of from that dog you saw at the beginning that originally barked at the kid with autism or Asperger's or whatever he had and then became his friend later so that was kind of interesting but the movie overall wasn't bad it was an interesting story like I don't know 
why the one guy needed to have uh, ticks, or why they made certain characters the way they were. But it's it's a movie. It's a Shane Black movie. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of comparisons you can make to Iron Man three, but given that Iron Man three was also like there's still a kid with a main focus who's well better at technology than it kind of leads you to believe and a lot of big explosions but it was still good it was still enjoyable I'm the twist at the end leaves you kind of confused about what the future is going to bring but I'm pretty sure if a regular guy can take on the mega predator or the big predator then I don't think they need this predator killer weapon so who knows we'll be interested to see if what sequel we get when we get it who's directing it and if all of the sexual assault allegations against someone in the in the cast has any effect on the future box office potential of these movies, I don't know. The movie's done pretty well for itself, so we'll kind of have to see how the rest of that goes. I'll so I need really dive into the mythos of seeing all the old Predator movies since the first one, and then all the Alien movies. Since I've never really got I've never seen an Aliens movie, so well actually I did the back. I did see Alien vs Predator, but yeah, it's a whole other story. Also not a bad movie, just not a particularly great movie. But that is that for my little bit about what entertains us. Kind of makes you just want to scream like, are you not entertained? Like when there's things you have to see or things you want to do. And jumping into what I want to talk about this week, this is something I actually saw through someone sharing it on Facebook a few days ago that I had to like kind of do a little research on because I was curious. So apparently there's a tree that legally owns itself. So... If you go up to this, I'm going to kind of read this a little bit from Wikipedia, which, take it with a grain of salt as you will, but there's this tree that owns the itself. It's in Athens, Georgia, and um, the legend has it. The earliest known telling of the tree story comes from the front page article entitled Deeded to Itself in the Athens Weekly Banner in August 12th, 1890. The article explains the tree has been located in the property of Colonel William Henry Jackson, William Jackson was the son of James Jackson, a soldier in the American Revolution, as well as Congressman, U.S. Senator, and Governor of Georgia. And the father of another, James Jackson, a Congressman, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of Georgia, and the brother of Jabez Young Jackson, also a Congressman. Jackson supposedly cherished childhood memories of the tree and desired to protect it, needed it to the ownership of itself and its surrounding land by various accounts of this transaction took place between 1820 and 1832. According to the newspaper article, the deed read, I, uh, I W.H. Jackson, of the County of Clark of one part and the oak tree of the county of Clark of the other part witnesseth that the said W.H. Jackson for and in exertion of the great affection for which he bears said tree as great daughters he protected has conveyed and by these presents to do convey unto the said oak tree entire position of itself and all the land within eight feet of it on all sides. It's unclear whether the story of the tree that owned itself began the Bionicle article, or if it's been elements of the local folklore prior to that time. The article's author also writes that in 1890, there were few people still living who knew the story. The story of the tree that owns itself is very widely known, is also printed as fact. However, only one person, the anonymous author of the deed to itself, has ever claimed to have seen Jackson's tr- deed to the tree. Most writers acknowledge that the deed is lost or no longer exists. If, in fact, it ever did, such a deed ever, even if it did exist, would have no legal standing under common law. The person receiving the property in question must have the legal capacity to receive it, and the property must be delivered and accepted by the recipient. 
William H. Churchill did, in fact, own the property on the opposite side of Deering Street from the tree, the plot including the present-day 226 Deering Street, but in the early 19th century, so we designated lot number 14. The tree, however, is located on the portion of what had been lot number 15. Jackson is what Mildred, along with J.A. Cobb, sold their property to Dr. Malthus Ward in 1832. Um, there's a lot more information. Uh, the original tree owns itself as estimated to have started life at some point between the mid-16th century and late-18th centuries. The tree was considered by some to be both the biggest tree in Athens as the most famous tree in the United States. The tree predated the transformation of the area into a residential neighborhood beginning in the mid-19th century. The residence adjacent to the tree, known as Domini House, was within the corner of Millage Avenue and Wallace Street in 1883. Um, and by 1906, erosion has become apparent at the base of the tree, George Arthur Peabody paid to have new soil, a commemorative tablet, and a chain barricade supported by eight granite posts installed around the tree. Despite these efforts, the tree suffered heavy damage during an ice storm in 1907. Although attempts were made at preservation, Wright had already set it in, the tree was permanently weakened. The original oak fell on the evening of October 9, 1942, following a long period of decline. Its pork has been known for years within the days of its collapse. Moves underway to replace the fallen tree with a son grown from one of its acorns. When it counts this, the tree had actually died several years before its collapse, the victim of root rot. The tree was over 100 feet tall and was estimated between 150 and 400 years old when it fell. It's quite a range. Um, it had been reported elsewhere that the tree fell on December 1st, 1942, succumbing not to old age and disease, rather to a violent windstorm that ravaged much of North Georgia that evening, causing widespread damage and killing several people. While it's possible that some portion of the tree had remained standing for several weeks, Meaning at dramatic events at the hands of a killer storm, only the earlier dates supported by newspaper accounts is known why the tree was not dated by counting its rings. So yes, yeah, so when the tree fell, even though it was under the... It was replaced by the son of the tree that owns itself. Um, all, after the original tree's demise, its small plot sat vacant for four years. Don Magal, the son of Young of Athens, Georgia, Junior Ladies Garden Club... Um, so several Athenians had cultivated seedlings from the acorns from the original tree... Um, so they transplanted a tree that they had been growing to that original location. The new tree was officially dedicated in a formal ceremony in 1946. Um, the new tree trimmed back to a mere three feet for transplant thriving in its location. The tree considered popularly, if not legally, to be the full heir of the original tree. As such, it's sometimes referred to as the son of the tree that owns itself, although it was generally known by the same title as its progenitor. The tree was... Over 50 feet tall as of 2006. Although the story of the tree itself is more of a legend than history, the tree has become one of the most recognized and well-beloved symbols of Athens, is routinely featured in travel guides on their visitor information, and has even garnered traditional recognition through such publications as Ripley's Believe It or Not, where it had been featured in several locations. Or several occasions, sorry. So it's kind of interesting. I thought it was kind of interesting that I've never heard of a tree that owns itself it's similar it's like when you see like the mayor of the small town is a cat or a dog or whatever else it may be so that's just my little fun bit of news to tell, uh, share with you guys today even though it's a very old story and a couple things happened since the last episode involves uh the emmy awards the primetime emmy awards i know on my last one i talked about the creative arts emmys which involved like john legend winning so but here's an article about the from Variety about the biggest takeaways from the Emmys. So 
Not even the Emmys could break the TV business's dark mood, sexual assault, and harassment allegations against high-ranking figures, media, mega-acquisition deals that have created massive uncertainty, and continued struggles to represent diversity on screens all combined to create an atmosphere in which celebrating TV proved too difficult a task. But the key takeaways from September 17th's Primetime Emmy Awards is at least provide an accurate reflection of the unsettled industry. So the fo- Big Four in August... Um, renewed their deal with the TV Academy to share telecast rights for the Emmys through 2026, ensuring that for the next eight years, at least one broadcast's biggest program events will be a three-hour commercial for shows that are not available on broadcast. Of the 26 Emmys given out that night, Netflix, Amazon, HBO, and FX counted for all but three. When accepting the award for writing sketch series on behalf of Saturday Night Live, Lauren Michaels, who produced the Emmys, telecast offered a defensive broadcast. Michaels noted that when Saturday Night Live premiered in 1975, there are a lot of articles about how the network's wouldn't be here much longer, but here we are in 2018, we're at the Emmys, and we're on NBC. Michael C. Harvard was undermined by the fact the Emmys had held was one of only two won by a broadcast show. The other went to the newly engaged Glenn Weiss, director of ABC's Oscars telecast. Diversity's incomplete grade. As most award shows in the post-Oscars so white world, diversity and inclusion were touchstones of the Emmys, starting with Kate McKinnon and Keenan Thompson's opening musical number, We Solved It. Black women were well represented on stage thanks to wins by Thandie Newton and Regina King, and the victory of RuPaul's Drag Race from reality competition series was historic. The first time a reality program took awards for series and host, with RuPaul Charles having won at the Creative Arts Emmys a week earlier, but Killing Eve star Sandra Oh, the first woman of Asian descent nominated for drama actress, lost to Claire Foy of The Crown. And speaking to right ahead of the ceremony, John. Liguzamo, one of the night's only Latino nominees, supporting actor in a limited series for his role in Waco, of just getting appraisal of the industry's inclusion efforts. There's a bit of the culture of apartheid in Hollywood, he said. I feel like Latin people are sometime, or something like a 50% of the population of LA and we're less than 3% of the faces on camera. <clears throat> when Michaels announced his executive producer for this year's Emmys, the stage was set for a show chock full of Saturday Night Live talent. Front and center would be weekend update anchors Colin Jost and Michael Che set to host. Variety Chief TV critics Daniel Diardino channeled most critical reactions when he wrote that SNL came to seem diminished. With Che and Jost, whose low-key shtick is familiar with from weekend update fan to raise the energy of the room or even to claim the room as their own. A year after late host show, Stephen Colbert swung and missed with big gambits such as bringing former Trump flack Sean Spicer on stage. Che and Jost played things safe, sticking largely to a structure reminiscent of update including a must roundabout about recurring bit in which the two hosts interacted with Clueless Emmy experts Maya Rudolph and Fred Armisen. The director, Hamish Hamilton, and a few former tweaks, particularly having the announcer read the nominees' names before the presenters took the stage, kept the show moving. Che and Jost were a drag. Uh, heading into the Emmys, the rise of Netflix was primed to be a dominant, dominant narrative. The story played out but didn't follow the script. After drawing more nominations than HBO the first time in 18 years, another network or platform has done that. Netflix tied the premium cabler for the most wins with 23. Netflix failed once again to land an award for best drama or comedy series with its Emmys distributed over 11 shows. More surprising than Netflix's diffuse haul was the performance of Amazon's The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which dominated the comedy categories in a way that no drama or limited series did in its field. Maisel won five awards Monday night, making it the evening's top winner. The show noted eight Emmys overall, including three creative arts Emmys handed out a week earlier, putting it only... One behind field leader Game of Thrones, which won the bulk of its awards in the the below-the-line categories. 
Amazon's new entertainment chief, Jennifer Salk, identified Mazel as a standout in the company's current slate shortly after joining the tech giant from NBC earlier this year. Now has the series become a standard bearer for this brand as Salk looks to compete with Netflix for higher profile talent. The mood at the Fox post Emmys party was buoyed by wins for The Americans, the assassination of Giovanni, Gianni Versace, American Crime Story, and Seven Seconds, but uncertainty also infused the gathering at Vivinia. With Disney's pending acquisition of the bulk of 21st Century Fox set to split Fox Broadcasting from Studio 20th Century Fox Television, and the fates of topics such as Peter Rice, Dana Walden, and Gary Newman still not officially resolved, most people working at Fox don't know for sure whether they have jobs next year. Les Moonves, ouster from CBS in the wake of assault and harassment allegations, was not mentioned in the Emmys telecast, but it was far, in a way, the top conversation topic in the week of parties leading up to the show. ATD's recent acquisition of the former Time Warner companies promised to change HBO and Turner Broadcasting as well as Warner Brothers Television. And reshaped the Emmys landscape in the process, industry roiled by change, not even the biggest celebration promises to stay the same. So, yeah, it seems like... It'll be a very interesting thing. It looks like there's another article. I'm trying to see if this is actually worth discussing here. Okay, so it looks like uh, Ben Sherwood is preparing to leave the Walt Disney Company after Disney completes its acquisition of 21st Century Fox. Sherwood has served as Disney's top TV executive as president of Disney ABC Television Group and co-chair of the Media Networks Division. Has considered options for a new role during the past two months after it became clear that Fox's Peter Rice is poised to take on his duties as leader of Disney's TV operations with the exception of ESPN. Disney chief Bob Iger sought to keep Sherwood in the fold with a new position overseeing all unscripted content and news for the enlarged company given his background as a former president of ABC News and executive producer of Good Morning America. Sherwood was said to have been intrigued at the possibility of overseeing an expanded Sky News which was originally expected to come into the Disney fold through a 21st century Fox acquisition. But now that Comcast has revealed in its mano-a-mano battle with Disney for Sky, the elements of the job is off the table. Sure delayed his final decision to stay or go until the fate of Sky was known. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays into everything that uh, Disney is creating in terms of TV with the Fox acquisition and all the stuff that's going to come from that. And speaking of Disney, um, Disney is willing to hurt Marvel and Star Wars movies to beat Netflix. So, which is a really out there headline, which really doesn't mean a whole lot. So, Variety broke a big story uh, last week with Justin Kroll reporting that Walt Disney is playing short-form episodic TV shows based on the, based in the MCU and featuring core MCU characters as part of their upcoming Disney streaming platform. The names reference are Elizabeth Olsen's Scarlet Witch and Tom Hiddleston's Loki. And then this is reported to be on characters who haven't received the feature film spotlight. The six to eight episode miniseries events will allegedly be spearheaded by Kevin Feige himself and will have big budgets, or at least production values, compared to the theatrical MCU flicks. Assuming that all comes to pass, what does it mean? Well, so there's how Walt Disney as a conglomerate is willing to shoot the hostage to win the day. It's not happy that this news leaked before Avengers 4, even if Loki stays dead after Infinity War, news that Hilston will continue to play the character in one form or another lessens the finality of next year's MCU event. Second, even if the show highlights supporting characters or fan favorites, like any supporting cast member from Black Panther, for instance, it can't help but make the MCU theatrical movies that much less of an event. Ditto for John Favreau's Star Wars series, but I digress. TV is at a point where it can replicate 90% of Hollywood theatrical content in terms of writing, acting, and production values. Once you start getting superhero TV shows that are as big as superhero movies, well, that may be game over. But let's look at the current landscape 
as essentially con- content or equals content, no matter if it airs in theaters, on TV, or on video on demand slash streaming platforms. Potentially lessening the eventness or, or theatrical appeal of Marvel's events movies by offering a proximate variation on TV isn't a total suicide play. In a bid to make Disney Channel a must-have item for... Make Disney's channel a must-have for items who have already subscribed to Netflix, Hulu, and or Amazon. Disney's willing to risk the theatrical potential of their biggest live-action brand. Doctor Strange 2 may be less of a big deal in theaters. If theoretically you've also got Wong, Master of the Mystic Arts, airing it for eight episodes on Disney's streaming platform. But if folks are enticed to subscribe to Walt Disney's site, that's a measured win. It's not that different than when Walt Disney knowingly slotted Captain America Civil War against Batman v Superman when they were both scheduled for May 6, 2016. Sure, we all presume that Debbie would move Dawn of Justice, but Disney was willing to hurt one part of its MCU machine to really hurt a key component of DC's film cinematic universe. We can also debate whether Disney slotting Avengers Infinity War, Solo, Incredibles 2, and Ant-Man and the Wasp almost on top of each other lessened their individual theatrical grosses. Disney still controlled 39% of the domestic summer box office. Most of their studios did okay to particularly by spacing out their product or sliding their movies after the Disney pile-on ended, but I digress. This show that Disney streaming service is playing for keeps offering TV shows in the Star Wars and MCU continuity that feature production values worthy of and critical artists, actors, characters from their theatrical counterparts. Disney was a risk diluting the specialness of their most significant theatrical properties right as their brands are at their most vulnerable. After Avengers 4 and after Star Wars Episode 9 to get eventually a permanent foothold in the streaming wars. Will theatrical Shuri miniseries lessen the specialness of seeing her again in Black Panther 2? I don't know, but as long as the notion of limited series Loki asshole of Asgard gets folks to subscribe to the Disney streaming platform, then it's measured victory either way. So this, uh, who actually said this article? Scott Mendelson, uh, Hollywood Entertainment contributor for Forbes magazine, or Forbes.com. So, I disagree with a lot of what he said in this article. I don't believe that putting out a Loki or Scarlet Witch miniseries on the streaming platform will turn people against seeing the movies on the big screen. We've seen this already on ABC and Netflix with their... Marvel shows like Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's not... Like, if they really make it directly tied, like, if they're going to reference this show in their movies, like, oh, remember when this happened? Like, then it has to be in continuity, but it can't connect as much. But we've also seen this on the DC side with all the shows on CW, with their upcoming streaming service having their own content. And those haven't really hurt the movie's draw. They're still people are still going to go see these movies, especially if you're just making a larger world. Like I don't see an issue with this. I don't think, like, if anything, it'll make people more inclined to get the Disney streaming service, which is already going to have all the Pixar content, Marvel content, Star Wars content, all that stuff, plus all the new things. So it's really going to draw me in a lot more than the DC streaming services tempted me. So. Yes, there's going to be like, well, why am I going to pay to see a movie to, if I can just watch on here? You're going to get a very different experience. Like, I don't know. That's just, someone just really thinks that if they can't see it in theaters, it's not special. But those Netflix Marvel shows, even though they're in the same universe, not super tied into it, but enough that like those things have great production fun. I think we see that kind of content with some of these minor characters in the greater MCU, I'm all for that. 
Give me a Samuel L. Jackson series. If he's willing to, if someone can pay him enough money to do it, I'm all for that too. And uh, I guess staying with Disney and Marvel and all that, I guess Chris Evans is going to star in a new Apple thriller series, Defending Jacob. So Captain America is leaving the Avengers behind for a new series on Apple. I didn't even know Apple was making TV shows. So Chris Evans will star in an executive produced Defending Jacob, a limited drama series based on William Landay's 2012 best-selling novel of the same name. The story centered on lawyer whose son is arrested for stabbing a classmate, leading the father to take drastic measures. The Imitation Games Oscar-winning filmmaker Mortem Lydlum will direct the series, but no further details were given on casting or air date of the project. This is Evans' first major television role since 2000's Opposite of, the Opposite of Sex miniseries. The actor will appear as Captain America in the fourth Avengers film next year, and is then expected to hang up the shield. His other films in development include the post-World War II drama The Devil All the Time, which will reunite with, fellow, with his fellow Avenger, Tom Holland. Didn't hear anything about that movie. I'm kind of tempted to see it as well. Evans the latest high-profile name to come abroad. Apple's growing original series roster joined the likes of Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston, Octavia Spencer, Jason Momoa, and Oprah. It's not known whether the series will debut and how Apple will distribute them, but the emergence of the tech company in Hollywood has piqued the industry's interest as it presents stiff competition to the likes of Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, HBO and basic cable networks in the race to deliver prestige television. And really hard to say about that is like, everyone kind of rushed to these streaming services to get away with the high cable prices. But if every, if everything basically gets their own streaming service, if everything's like, well now you get to subscribe to Disney's streaming service and DC's streaming service and Apple's streaming service and I have Hulu and Netflix and Amazon and it's going to cost just as much, if not more, than a normal cable subscription. Like, I feel like we're taking the benefit now to, yeah, we're just stuck with cable, and then we'd probably all be better off, because all this content has become very exclusive to these certain networks, not be able to get stuff, especially as everyone tries to get their own thing. Like, it's just going to make Netflix and Hulu and Amazon less valuable, except for their original content. They're not going to have the same streaming rights anymore. Like, Netflix is going to hurt when they lose Star Wars and Marvel and all of that. Luckily, they'll still have the Netflix series since those were developed through them, but still, I think we're going to be asking for trouble and end up chilling out 10 to $20 for each of these streaming services, and that goes all everyone's money, so I don't know. I'm interested to see what comes of this. But another exciting thing that's happened is it's now fall. We all get to enjoy this lovely fall season. I got to celebrate that by going to uh, a town kind of adjacent of mine does a apple fest which is their fall fest they do in this little historic downtown area they have so there was a lot of apple themed desserts and snacks and there's apple alcoholic beverages and treats of all kinds so uh liz and i had uh apple sangria which was delicious we also had um just other apple desserts they had apple uh, cider donuts are awesome but their the line was like down the street so it's not worth it so get some apple ice cream when you do what you can. So definitely made for a good and exciting and a nice little night out. And especially since it's been so cold this weekend. If you're anywhere in the Midwest or North, I think. A lot of the areas kind of cooled off this weekend. And nice celebration. I've just been a lot of time outside working. But yeah. Um, one of things to talk about. I'm kind of a little out of breath for some reason. I think I was talking too much and without taking a breath. So little winded here which is probably just because i'm out of shape but hey what are you gonna do 
But I think that'll wrap it up for this week. I know I have some things in the work involving some guests in the not-too-distant future, so definitely stay tuned for that. Um, Foodies is coming back soon, so that'll be exciting. Get to see uh, Nate, Veronica, and myself talk about some movies, because there's been a lot of movies that we all have seen since our finale of Season 2, so definitely a lot to talk about there. There's all the other shows about on the network. Podcast has their own feed now, and I've listened to their new show, so definitely check out to that. Um, I know I kind of covered some stuff that JSC covered yesterday, but I've also kind of expanded on it, so definitely enjoy that. So if you haven't listened to JSC yet, definitely go back and listen to it. It was a great episode. And yeah, just check out all the other shows on the network. Kids for Sale, um, Voices of Survival should be back soon during the wrestling. I'm not a huge wrestling fan, but Nate's really passionate about it, and you can really tell it in the show. So definitely keep checking out that. And the other show I do, which is Poor News, you can check out that next week. Um, you can get early access to all of our shows by going to patreon.com, so turning into comics and subscribing for only a dollar. You get access, early access to all of our shows, plus exclusive content. And for more money, there's a lot more things you can check out and get. So you like uh, gifts, like uh, patches, pictures, not pictures, stickers, uh, shirts, all that fun stuff. Yeah, um, we have a Teespring or Teepublic uh, site that has shirts. If you can get to that from our journeyintocomics.com site or through uh, Facebook at Journey to Comics. Uh, my show um, social media is at Twitter at PoorEnt, I believe, or Entertain. Poor Entertain, I can't remember the exact thing. Search Poor Entertainment on Twitter, you'll find me. That'll be great. And then um, Poor News is on Facebook and Instagram. So, yeah, I think that'll do it for this week. It's definitely been one well, of those episodes. It's been a long weekend. I'm glad I'm able to bring you some entertaining news. And just kind of think about it as you do with the rest of your week. If you're not entertained by what you're doing for fun, then find something else to do. There's a lot of stuff out there, and sometimes you have to expose yourself to it. Like, sometimes people find that, hey, maybe podcasting isn't for me, or maybe podcasting is for me, and I want to want to do a show. Like, I enjoy listening to them. Maybe I should do it, or maybe I'm doing it, I'm not enjoying it. But, hey, there's always other things to do with your life. If you find something, you like certain parts of it, just keep doing that. Don't muzzle through something just because you don't like doing it. But... It's If you find it fun, if you enjoy it, if it's a good thing to escape from the normalcies of life, then keep doing it. Play music. Do theater. Go to a movie. Watch a TV series. Just do whatever makes you happy. That's kind of what we're doing here in life. So that's it for the Poor Entertainment for this week. I'm Andrew Poor. You have a great, great week. Thanks, guys.